Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Challoner. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating the people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and also to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership role yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply, because we'd love to potentially have you on the programme alongside us next. Um, Each week on the show, I'm joined by a different leadership figure from the world of business, education, politics, sport, or even from local communities in the aim of truly discovering who those people are that get up every single morning and make this country work. We get their take on the current economic and political landscape of the UK and discuss everything from education provision to the well-being of our children and, of course, the success and the innovation that makes it all worthwhile in the end. Um, To that end, I'm very pleased to say that my guest on today's show is Amanda Dawson. Amanda is the head teacher at Mellors Primary School in Radford, Nottingham. Uh, The school is based in an area ranking fourth out of the 326 districts in England of income deprivation affecting children as of 2020. And in addition, Nottingham itself as a city is ranked as the most deprived of the core cities. Um, At least 37% of pupils attending Mellors may be experiencing family income deprivation in comparison with 21% nationally. However, in the face of such adversity, the school has worked hard to ensure that all of its pupils, regardless of background, are able to achieve the grades that they deserve and truly fulfil their potential. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Amanda onto the show. Um, Amanda, hello and good morning. Good morning, Scott. Thanks so much for inviting me to speak with you this morning. It's really good to be here. Uh, Likewise, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us as well. Um, I think a good place to start would be actually by addressing the elephant in the room here, and that's the context in which we're having this discussion on the podcast today. Um, COVID-19. We know that social restrictions are gone in England for the time being, but it has been affecting us so greatly for the best part of the last 16 months, and it's had a tremendous impact on the education sector, hasn't it? So to what extent has all of this affected you and affected your school, Mella, specifically, would you say? It's affected us really deeply in, in lots of different ways, actually. So I guess if you start with strategically, that we're a school that we, we work and think very strategically. We're committed to a very devolved style of leadership. Uh, we've done a lot of leadership research. We like to think ahead, plan properly, keep everybody with us so that everybody's sharing um, that really compelling vision that we've got, which is all about smashing the glass ceilings that we know society can put into place for our communities and communities like ours. So when you put something like COVID into the mix, we're having to be reactive. So it's been, I wouldn't say it's been impossible because we're really committed to working in a very strategic way and looking forward and, you know, the direction of travel. However, because we've had to be completely reactive, for instance, you know, going back to school in January and then being told that evening that we were going back into another lockdown, we've had to work really quickly. So we've had contingency plans, but actually, some, you know, more often than not, we've had to work incredibly quickly. So working through the night, for instance, the Monday night, we were meeting and meeting with our health and safety representatives at the local authority to make sure that we'd got everything in place for the Tuesday, which was when we started the second lockdown. And actually, or I think some people may call it the third lockdown. So that, that was, that's been probably the most challenging bit. And then on a very day-to-day operational level, 
managing the community's expectations and managing that, that, that whole sense of making sure that we know what the what the symptoms of COVID are, communicating it out to parents, what the procedure is if somebody's coughing in school, who's going to make that call, where are they going to sit, you know, before the parent comes to collect them, insisting that we've got um, negative test results before children can come back, making sure that we know who close contacts are in, in that respect, in an, in an operational sense. It's created a huge raft of extra work. So what I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, we, we haven't taken our eyes off the prize, if you like, and mm-hmm. eyes off the ball, but it's made that much more difficult because we're having to deal with operational changes on a, the, the, that are occurring on a daily basis and listening out for a, um, announcements from the government, which directs our uh, sort of protocols in school as well. We've had lots and lots. I mean, we always have it working, you know, as, a, as school leaders. There are a, a number of balls that we're juggling all the time, but COVID's probably tripled the number of balls that we're having to juggle at any one time. I guess that's how we might, how we might describe it. And just when we talk about the government as well and how sort of they've been issuing advice to schools throughout the crisis, um, do you think that sort of the timeliness and the clarity of those guidelines has been sufficient? Just because we've seen a lot of headlines of sort of schools being almost thrown under the bus in a sense and having to sort of juggle balls overnight, as it were. Yeah, I'm going to be, it has, it has felt like that. I think that, um, you know, the advice that, we, that we've had superb, support from our local authority Nottingham City, a guy called David Thompson who's absolutely brilliant and he, he's just lived and breathed COVID for the last 18 months we have a staff WhatsApp group which we call the COVID response team he's in it, so it doesn't matter what time of night it is, if somebody's called in with a positive result, he's been there to advise what we need to do next so in that respect we've had superb support but it really has felt as though we've been on a lot of the time on the back foot because of last minute announcements, U-turns, changes in, you know, the well, we're going to work to this decision. And then a couple of days later or less than 24 hours later, in some instances, mm-hmm. we've got to do a U-turn on a decision that's made. That's been really tough. The DFE provided laptops. So that I think what I would say is that, in, interestingly, our teachers, uh, in that we, we were able to get onto online learning really quickly. We prepared for it in the first lockdown and we had some of our older key, stu- key stage two children last summer were working on teams. So we were doing live teams lessons, but obviously we couldn't reach everybody because not everybody had a device. So by the time January came, we'd got enough devices for everybody. So the vast majority of children were accessing online learning which meant that we were delivering exactly the same curriculum that we'd intended to deliver, which subsequently means that the learning, you know, you might call it learning loss, but actually I don't think you can lose learning that you haven't had. Um, so the, the gaps and the progress, a lot of our children have made the progress that we would have expected them to make had they been attending school. There was a small number of about 20 children that hadn't accessed any learning whatsoever. And so I think there were repercussions for us in making sure that we'd got interventions for those children as soon as they came back to school and so that they could make really rapid progress. We focused on the children that we know weren't accessing our online learning offer. But I would say that the DfE were really prompt eventually in getting those laptops and other devices out to us. 
Yeah, certainly. And vast inequalities have been exposed during the pandemic, haven't yeah. they? Because we've seen yeah. the impact of digital digital poverty among our most disadvantaged. And that was obviously backed up by a damning report recently from the Education Select Committee, which showed that I think it was white working class pupils have been neglected by the education sector for some years. Um, starting with sort of digital poverty first and foremost, how important is it going to be that we continue to sort of bridge that gap if technology is going to continue to play a part in education in the post-COVID world because even with classrooms back obviously from September as normal we'd hope we're still sort of talking about maybe some of these resources being used for homework and things like that so there's still going to be a role for them. Yeah, I think what I would say, just want to pick you up on something about the report and the uh, disparity between white working classrooms. Actually, that wasn't that was just one small part of the report, mm. um, and and it was w- what it didn't do was follow sort of black and ethnic minority young people after sort of into an into university and beyond because actually that the flip the flip side then is true that black and ethnic minority young people are, are much less able to get the the, the jobs that sort of young white people are getting uh, when they leave university or you know sixth form or whatever. So I think there is that that was that was a, a soundbite I would say from that report mm. that doesn't necessarily reflect the whole of the report. Um, slightly inflammatory, but anyway, um, mm, sure. in terms of the online offer, we, as I said, our, our teachers were absolutely superb and just went for it and got it all sorted in the first lockdown. By the end of the first lockdown, we had lots of children that were accessing. By the second lockdown, there were lots of children. The vast majority of children were, had a device and were able to access live learning. And that's children as, long, as young as year one and reception age. So with the support of the parents, they were accessing that learning. And then, of course, we've had, I suppose, what you might call a blended offer uh, through the summer term because we've had so many children having to go home and self-isolate but they were still accessing live lessons that what the classes were learning, they were, they were dialing into those through teams. And I think what we've, what we've realized is that there's, there's a huge amount of potential there. I don't think I would ever want to be in a situation where we're replacing live teachers because I don't think it's, I, I don't think you get the quality without those human interactions in, in, in person, if you like. But I really do think there's a place for, 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 for using online learning, potentially for homework, you know, potentially for out-of-school activities across the summer. You know, we, we've set some projects for children online across the summer. So I think I think there's, there's certainly a huge amount of potential, but I definitely wouldn't want to see it replacing live teachers in school, you know, and those kind of interpersonal relationships. The other thing that, that, that was really useful for us in our live learning offer was that we were able to establish um, a safeguarding portal, so uh, a, an aspect, an area on one of our um, one of our online platforms where children were able to report if they were feeling unsafe or if there was something happening at home that was making them scared or uneasy, and there was somebody monitoring that. There was a teacher that monitored that uh, until midnight. So we were able to support our pupils from you know from a safeguarding point of view during those lockdown periods. That was incredibly significant. There were a number of pupils who we were able to get social workers involved with who were having a really rough time because that's I, that's something else that I think isn't is underreported that that it was an incredibly stressful time for a lot of families you know drink mm. you know alcohol abuse drug abuse 
those sort of things really increased during the uh, during the last eighteen months. They did. The pandemic certainly has had a detrimental effect on overall well-being and also mental health, hasn't it? And Absolutely. At a period of time where all of our contact pretty much, apart from when schools have returned, has been virtual, sometimes it's harder to pick up on those issues, isn't it, as and when they do arise? Yeah. Because you can't yeah. sort of detect them in the general demeanour of people when you're in the same room as them. So yeah. that's presented a real challenge. It has. I mean, we were, we, you know, we've got a really rigorous safeguarding team. We know we, we, what you call rag rates, the red, amber, green. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the families that we've had concerns about, we did weekly home visits, weekly phone calls. The teachers were calling, speaking to the children, making sure that the parents were okay. So nobody, we didn't have a single family that slipped under our radar. And actually we picked up, you know, increasing numbers of families that, that we were worried about just because we were being so vigilant about... Um, you know, about what was happening in those in those family homes. And when it comes to sort of the general effects on people's education of this isolation, this period away from the classroom, there are some incredible statistics out there about how sort of disadvantaged people are, say, several months behind their peers in terms of the content that they've picked up on. Um, when it turns, when, when we turn our attention to sort of trying to bridge that lost learning and fix that problem, it's not going to be a short-term fix and it's not going to come over the next academic year, is it? It's something that's going to be a real long-term issue and it's going to it take is, years of effort. You know what, Scott? Mm. It's what we've always done. In schools where there are, you know, there's a high level of deprivation with where children don't have the kind of experiences growing up that really support academic progress, it's what good schools in deprived areas have always done. We've always delivered what we call interventions, which is a, almost like a, a kind of a personalised support system for those children that need some extra help. So, for instance, things like, I don't know whether you've heard of a programme called Reading Recovery that's targeted at Key Stage 1 children. So we pick those children, we've always done it, we identify them very early, those children that need a bit of extra help, and it's an intensive programme. And so, for instance, last year, uh, it must have been the year before, the last year of SATS, we had the young man who, um, who got the highest grade in the SATS exam um, had had this reading recovery program when he was in year one, so we've always done that. What you know, and this, this kind of sense of intervention during, um, you know, the kind of pandemic or recovery curriculum, it's what we do. It's what we've always done well, which is why the data for children at Mellors is always so strong, because they uh, because we we make sure that we find out exactly what it is that they're struggling with, and we put in some kind of an intervention to support with that. And it could be for some children that. Before a lesson, have a quick run through so they know what's going to happen. Check out during the lesson which were the children that were struggling so that at the end of the lesson, run through it again. It could be a specific English program. It could be reading. It could be math, a specific element of math that two or three children have been struggling with and just give them some extra support with that. But as I said, that's what good schools in in, um, areas of high deprivation have always done. So none of this is really new to us, but mm. it's great that there's some funding being given because actually this year we've been able to appoint an additional member of staff whose role will just be to deliver that. I think it's key that you mention how important that early intervention is there within the Mellor's yeah. way of making sure that pupils can fulfil their potential because early language and communication are absolutely critical, aren't they? Yeah. And so Absolutely I- right identifying that in year one and addressing where there are issues with things like the reading recovery program. It's integral. It's, it's absolutely fantastic uh, to hear it that is, sort of you're it picking is. it up so well. And actually, you know, Scott, we start even earlier. So 
uh, what, what we do know is that the, the, the children that have suffered most actually from the pandemic are our youngest children. So nursery age and reception age, because they've missed out on that really critical play and, and early language. So we're doing a huge amount of um, investment. We've got an additional member of staff working across early years who's going to who's trained in delivering early language programs for the children that we're really worried about and, and, and adapted the curriculum, the whole of the early years curriculum to make sure that there's a really sharp focus on early language and play because those are the, I mean, our foundation stage teacher assessments were probably two thirds of what they would normally be simply because children haven't had the opportunity to play and to be heard language. And in terms of ensuring as well that sort of these social glass ceilings don't hinder people's potential, I suppose the culture within Mellors is a huge part of that as well, isn't it? Instilling yeah. that positivity that, you know, you can go and fulfil your potential. That's right. Absolutely. That's really important to us. With You know, part of our vision as a school um, is that, you know, we're in a community that's very diverse, area of high deprivation. We know, we you know, much as much as there's a, there's, a, there's a good talk about social mobility, actually there are glass ceilings put into place. So we want for all of our young people to be the best that they can be, and if you, you know to get them to universities, to Russell Group universities. One of our big success stories is that a former pupil, young black man, uh, came through Mellors, uh, was awarded a place to read uh, medicine at Cambridge last September. That's it for us. That's our success story. But what we know is that if we're going to do that, we've got to have, we've got to live and breathe high standards and high expectations, not just talk about it, not just say it, but actually really, you know, walk the walk. So our children all get brass tuition. They pass um, ABRSM graded exams in brass. So by the time they get to year six, they will all have passed at least grade one, but a significant number will will have achieved grade three. We really focus on debating and speaking and listening and oracy and, you know, all of those things that we know are going to help our young people get into those Russell Group universities and then effect change. That's how you effect social change. And it's working, isn't so we, it? We kind of proselytize about that. We're absolutely mm. passionate about it. It's what we call the Mellor's Way. And it's it, everybody lives and breathes that sense of, 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 of really wanting to, being passionate about making sure that our children get the absolute best so that they make that progress. And of course, you know, our, our data, speak, you know, we're in the top 10% of all schools nationally for progress in, in exactly. maths and English. Exactly right. Mellor's pupils' results are in line with and often better than the national average and progress yeah, well, in, is and In terms of above. attainment mm. in line or better, progress, we're in the top 10%. Because the, the starting point is so low. You know, our, the, the stark stats are this. At three years old, all of our children, all of our children are below what you would call age-related expectation at three. Every single child is below it, age-related expectation. By the time they leave us at year six, even children that have joined us along the way, actually, but by the time that they leave at year six, they're either at or above national expectation. So the progress is through the roof. And it's because we have high expectations and excellent teaching and then really focused excellent interventions for anybody that might be falling behind so that they catch mm. up. And I think, you know, two great examples, the young man who had reading recovery in year one and then got the highest score in the reading comprehension at the, at the end of year six. That's the story. That's what we do. 
it's hugely inspiring stuff as well and i suppose robust leadership has to play its part in this as well yeah. and that's very much what Absolutely. we're about here um and yeah. a school leaders um, at all levels part of the mellows way is utilizing that future engage deliver model of leadership that's isn't right. it mm. yeah that's right it's the steve radcliffe model and uh, we've, you know, it's something that we've been immersed. We've immersed ourselves in research, leadership research over the last four or five years, and that's everybody because we're really keen on on a devolved pattern of leadership. But it's, you know, it, it is about future. What it, what what we're doing this for? What's the vision? How do we get everybody on board? And we've got a saying that at Mellors, it's about getting the right people on the bus, keeping them on the bus, and also making sure that the people that need to get off the bus get off the bus. Because if you're not on if you're not on board with this vision, if you're not prepared to do everything that you can to develop, you know, develop quality first teaching and being the best that you can be, you know, maybe this isn't the place for you. But but mm. if you you know if you're up for it, we'll give you every support necessary, all support necessary, to improve your teaching. And and we do that in a very supportive way. Actually, you know, that I don't really believe in 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 being really punitive. So in terms of our system of, of of lesson observations, it's developmental. It's not us coming round and hitting people with a big stick. We want to have a look at your lessons, but let's have a look at what what needs to improve and how we how are we going to work together to really improve on that bit. So uh, mm. it's you know we do it in a very supportive way. It's almost taking almost Just a coaching sure approach, isn't it? It is. Well, that's right. We use we we use what's called an incremental coaching approach, where you know so we, we we're really passionate. We've got fabulous senior leadership and middle leaders, so senior leadership team and phase leads who are all involved in making sure that everybody's on the bus and everybody's heading in the right direction. And anybody you know, if anybody who might have a wobble, then that's when that coaching and incremental coaching comes into play. So we'll pick one aspect of the lesson or one aspect of somebody's teaching that we're going to focus on for a couple of weeks, bottom that out in a supportive way, and then come back and have another look at it. And they might be given an opportunity to go and have a look at somebody else who does that particularly well. And we do it in a guided way. So there'll be somebody who sits with them and picking the lessons. And then try it out and try it out again until they've nailed it. And that that works really well for us. We, we, you know, and we've, we've turned people around. You know, I, think, I know that there are other schools where we've had members of staff who perhaps wouldn't have been given the opportunity, but we, we want to invest in people. And, you know, if people are on the bus, let's keep them on the bus and let's make sure that they've got everything that they need to be as, as good as they can be. Exactly. It's developing them as people and developing them as teachers and building their resilience as well. And yeah, that's it. Absolutely, Scott. Absolutely right. And when we talk because about... well-being yeah. is really critical. You mm. know, I don't, none of us want at Mellors, we don't want an unhappy team. We want a team where my two, the two basic tenets for me, for everybody are, this is sort of parents, children, staff, happy and safe. Because if we're not happy and safe, mm. you're not going, you know, we're not going to be able to, because it's hard work. What, we, what we're doing and what we're asking and expecting is really hard work with high levels of commitment. And if people don't feel safe and happy within that kind of culture and environment, that's going to increase, it's going to decrease their well-being. But a happy staff is a productive staff. Exactly. And it's incredibly relevant in the here and now, isn't it, when we're talking so much more about mental health and well-being. And um, we talked a lot about sort of the challenges that COVID has brought forward, but also that word I mentioned just now, resilience. Do you think that the school community at Mellis has really sort of learned a lot and developed through these struggling times? Through the pandemic? Correct, yes. Yeah. I think it has because, you know, we've had to be supremely resilient because, you know, you 
one day you're on one track and then, you know, 20, well, eight hours later, you're going to have to jump onto a different track. So we've had to be, we've had to draw on all of those reservoirs of resilience. And for, you know, for some people, we've had to be really mindful that we've got a staff team that's made up of people who've approached this whole thing very differently. Some people preferred to be in school. Some people preferred to work from home and were really terrified by it. But other people preferred to be in school because it was less terrifying. So we, we made sure that we managed those, um, you know, when it was when we just had key workers in school and some people learning online, that the people who preferred to be working from home did the online stuff and the people who preferred to be in school managed the, um, the key worker children. Because, you know, if we, if we didn't do that, you know, if we had a three-line whip or put down, laid down and said, well, every TA is at home, teachers in school, that would have been really difficult for people who were quite traumatized initially by, by the whole pandemic. So we just made sure that we played to everybody's needs and strengths, which meant that we weren't denuding those reserves of resilience and, and so that people were doing what they were happier doing. And so they were also bringing a kind of an energy to it because they felt that they'd been listened to and that their needs had been considered. Um, and it worked. It, just, it worked. And it just meant that we were able to keep everybody really buoyant. And so it's really important to make sure that we're, we're not uh, putting people in stressful situations and making and so making sure that everybody, that our communication's been really good. Everybody knows what's going to happen. Everybody knows how they're going to be supported through that. Which means that they, you know, their their resilience hasn't been drained. Exactly right. Does, and does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's been an unprecedented year, hasn't it? Year and a half, yeah. even because it does date yeah. back to uh, to last March. And um, yeah, when it comes to sort of the next academic year, which presumably is going to be without many of the restrictions we've seen in place over the course of the previous one. And what must the education sector at large prioritise sort of moving forward, do you think? And Because there are a few things I think that still need to be sort of clarified going forward, don't they? Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're still not sure what the guidance for September is going to be. Mm. Um, so as far as things stand, we, we are going to, we're going to maintain some of the social distance, you know, the social distancing regulations. We're going to have, you know, making sure that children are hand washing because actually it's good practice. So some of those things we're, we're going to hang on to. We'll be hitting the ground running with the, with the curriculum that we'd be delivering anyway, but just really making sure that we're honing all of the interventions and, and being even sharper about the children that need that bit of extra help, particularly those children in early years where we're going to have to do, certainly having to do some backfilling of their early language and speaking and listening skills. But around the COVID, we're not going to make too, we're not going to be making changes too quickly, and there'll be certainly be no moves um, across the city, certainly Nottingham City, um, to get straight back to um, everything. You know, everything's everything's back to what you might call normal. We're definitely going to maintain some of the uh, some of the safety protocols that have that have worked really well for us, and we'll ease back in. We're not mm. going to do anything quickly. We're just going to ease ease things back in. When it comes to sort of making sure everybody's catching up as well, do you think that the fantastic work the Mellors have been putting in over the years to sort of get these early interventions in place and really bridge the attainment gap, do you think that's put you in an advantageous position compared to perhaps some of your yeah. peers across the sector? Yeah, I mean, listen, I can't, I can't speak for other schools, 
but what what we know is that it's it's as I said earlier, it, it's what we've always done, and it's why our results are good. I guess the other thing I would say is that what we've never done, even when we were under a lot of pressure to just teach maths and English, we've never done that. Our curriculum is really wide and it's really varied because what we understand is that if we want our children and young people to go on and compete, you know, with the best of the the creme de la creme, if you like, which we know they can do, they have to be given a wide range of experiences. So that includes school visits, for instance. I mean, we're taking a group of 25 children, hopefully next week to China, not next week, sorry, next Easter to China uh, to uh, spend some time with our sister school in um, in uh, Ningbo. And it's those kind of things that we, we, we want to get back to normal, the residential visits to Bungle mm. Hall in the Northeast and all of those, you know, those wider experiences. So, and I guess what I'd say is that, you know, we're really keen to make sure that our children, uh, through those maths and English and other interventions, that they're really honed and that uh, that we're targeting the right things with the right young people. But we're also really keen to make sure that our wider curriculum is, is uh, sort of broad and interesting and engaging. And the results of that are what inspires and motivates you, aren't they? Because when you see yeah. success stories such as former pupils going and smashing yeah. it at Russell Group Unis, it, it's that that makes That's you right. really want to get up in the morning, isn't it? That's right. That's it. That's what we do it for. Because I mean, I, I kind of I proselytize, and 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 it, you know, it's a political point for me that if we truly, if we truly want to affect, affect social change, if we truly want young people from, you know, those sort of the urban areas in our country that, 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 that are, in, you know, suffering from really high levels of deprivation. If we really want to smash those glass ceilings, we've got to do something, and, and we do, because what I know is we've got a huge amount of talent. We've got families who want their children and young people to be doctors and lawyers and teachers and surgeons, you know, that, that's what they want. Uh, they're really aspirational. And so it's our duty almost to make sure that that, that happens and that, that we smash those glass ceilings because we know, you know, we talk, people that talk a good talk about social mobility, actually we know that they are there. If you're black or you're Muslim or you're poor white, we know that it's, you know, that when you, get, when you go for that interview, um, if, we, if, if we haven't prepared you properly, that, the, you know, that the middle class white person will get that job. Exactly. So we, you know, we want, we want to make sure that that's not happening, that, that our young people are on an equal footing and that it's an equal level playing field for them. And that's exactly the way it should be, isn't it? And we're looking at sort of the last academic year. We've seen that it's so unprecedented and there are going to be a lot of challenges ahead. But in an ideal world, just before we do wrap up, Amanda, by the end of the 2021 to 2022 academic year, where do you see Mellis Primary School being and what are you really hoping to have achieved? Well, we're, the interesting thing is we've got lots of change at Mellors over the next 12 months. We are really thrilled that the Nottingham City death provision is coming to Mellors. So that's a huge coup mm-hmm. for us. We were so pleased to have been asked. And, uh, you know, it's because of the reputation of the school that we, that we were asked uh, for that to happen. So we've got 13 um, deaf children and a large staff team that will be joining us in September. So I think what I'd like, really, it's, it's nothing to do with COVID, really, but I'd like to make sure that in 12 months' time, if we were having this conversation, that Mellors would be a signing school. Well, it will be a signing school. And that our 
you know, our new deaf pupils are assimilated. They're part of what we do at Mellors and that they're, you know, that they're all part of the Mellors way, which is what we call it. It sounds like a cult, but it's not. Mm-hmm. They're part, part of the Mellors way and, uh, and that we're going from strength to strength. It's taking that inclusion further, isn't it? And of course, with the trip to China that you mentioned as well, we're bridging some of the cultural gaps there um, as well, because I suppose there's been a little bit of negativity around sort of some of the origins of COVID, hasn't there? So things like this are also beneficial to sort of boost those relations that little bit as well. Absolutely right. And and we applied for some touring funding, which we got. We got a huge amount of touring scheme funding, which is what's replaced the Erasmus scheme. Mm. And we were, you know, we, we had a a slight anxiety actually about whether parents would be uh, up for uh, allowing the children to go but we had a huge response and you know lots and lots of parents wanted their children to go which was fabulous so yeah we've got lots of exciting things happening so in a way in a way it's kind of business as usual Mm. even if that includes covid you know I suppose there were things that some people are saying, oh, it's something that we just have to live with. So business is normal with sort of dealing yeah. with COVID as and when it arises, probably the right yeah. way to go about it. And I think that's all we can do, Scott. I think mm. that's, you know, that's it, it is going to be with us. And if it's not COVID, it'll be something else. Mm. So it's really important that we, that we just we, we just get on with the job in hand, which is smashing those glass ceilings. Exactly right. It's a fantastic mission um, that you're on at Mellors to try and really make social mobility become a reality, get people on yeah. an equal footing with some of their sort of more um, like better off peers, let's say. And I think actually, as we start to see the kind of shape that this next year is starting to take and we understand the situation a little bit better, I think it would be fantastic to actually catch up Amanda and have you back on the show with us just to see how things are getting on and hopefully there'll be some great updates with regards to some of those projects that the school's involved in. Lovely. Yeah, I'd be really happy to join you again, Scott. It's really really good to talk about, about these things and I think really good to get that message out there. I think it is as well. And sharing some of those success stories, it can only be inspiring for the next generation as well and make them really realise that regardless of circumstances, there is always that opportunity out there to succeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Amanda, thanks ever so much for joining us. And just before we do wrap up, please do take care and stay safe with all still going on because we're not quite clear of the pandemic yet, but I'm confident that we're heading for better days. I think so. Well, interestingly, I was double vaccinated, but I thought I'd evaded capture and right at the end of term I got COVID but a very, very mm. mild dose. So I was I was um, heartened by that actually. So yeah, absolutely right. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure welcoming Amanda Dawson, head teacher at Mellors Primary School in Nottingham, onto today's show. And I do hope that you all thoroughly enjoyed the interview and hearing about the Mellors way and how it is looking to really act in the field of social mobility by smashing those glass ceilings and also how it is coped during a challenging academic year. Until next time, now that indoor hospitality has returned, I'll be heading back to my usual spot in the Westminster Arms and raising a glass to outstanding leadership and hopefully over the coming weeks we'll continue to take further strides toward some form of normality and not see any regression. Uh, Remember all, please do continue to look after yourselves and do be considerate of others because it does make such a difference in preserving lives. We're entering better days. Take care and goodbye.